Good morning. Good morning. All right. So you guys are unusually quiet today, and it's not in a bad way. You don't seem depressed or anything. You seem worshipful or something. So, you know, I just wanted to kind of let you know worship can be a little bit more up as well, right? Amen? Okay. <laughs> Hallelujah. So I'm starting a series today um, that is called Four Tests in Daniel. And uh, today is the, the test of consumption. They're all C's. And uh, so consumption was a word that they used back in the earlier part of the 20th century and throughout the 19th century to refer to tuberculosis. And that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about being a consumer. And so the question is, um, you, what do you consume? Because you are what you consume. And what I have today is the first passage out of Daniel. Now, I'm going to go over a lot of scripture today, and I'm going to apply this uh, passage in Daniel in a certain way. But I want you to hear the, the passage. Uh, the first six chapters of Daniel are kind of this world, real life. Uh, what happened when Daniel and his friends were taken captive, and they were taken to Babylon from their homeland of Israel, and they were the whole uh, Jewish nation was taken into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. Wouldn't that be strange if your nation got taken over by another country and then they just started shipping you out? And this was a, this was a tactic that was used by both the Assyrians and the Babylonians as a way to keep people from uh, rising up and rebelling against them. They just put them in a different place where they were uncertain of themselves and it wasn't their home. And you know, many of you that have moved know that when you first arrive in a new place, you just really feel uncertain. Folks that have been on the street, you've been homeless, you feel that same way. You're just uncertain about what's going on around you. And that's what to the Assyrians that took the northern tribes of Israel captive. And by the way, they never returned. And the Babylonians who took the southern tribe of Judah captive, and they did return after 70 years. Um, there were a number of waves of this captivity so they came in, they didn't completely conquer Jerusalem, they just came in and uh, got the king to let them in, and then they would take uh, people and they would remove them from their land. So they started with the people that they thought were the most promising, and that included Daniel and his three friends. Now, if you've been in Sunday school as a kid, you might remember the names of Daniel's three friends. What are their names? Oh, no, you got the Babylonian names. It's Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Oh. And then the Babylonians renamed them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we call them the children of Israel. I've got a fly accompanying me up here. That's awesome. It must be summertime, right? So here's the first chapter of Daniel, and I hope that you'll pay attention to the Holy Spirit as he ministers this to you. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So that means they surrounded it. And they were threatening them. So it had thick walls and they could hold out for a while, but eventually they'd run out of food. And that's how these armies would conquer walled cities. They would just continue to besiege the city until finally they just said, you know, we're starving in here. We give up. What do you want? All right. So that's what happened. They besieged it for a period of time. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. That is into Nebuchadnezzar's hand, the king of Babylon, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off uh, from the temple of God uh, to his temple in Babylonia and put them in the treasure house of his God. 
The king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. So now we know that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were not just any kids, young people, young adults. They were royalty. They came from the royal line. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Honestly, this is not a bad place to start uh, when we've just had uh, two Sundays that have uh, focused on graduates, because these guys were probably about your age. They were transitioning to a new period in their lives. Now, it wasn't a career choice that they made. It was sort of made for them. But this is what uh, Michaela, I told the, the folks that were here last week, the young people that were here last week, you want God's plan for your life. And that doesn't always look like your plan. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't make a plan. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't say, Lord, this is what I want to do. And I need your direction for this. But uh, we did a, a little uh, Reader's Theater skit last week. And it said it very simply, let God write your story. Well, this would not have been the story that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel would have written for themselves but it was certainly one that caused them to have a powerful influence on the world since then, right? Um, so uh, they were brought into the king's palace and Ashpenaz, this head of the king's official, uh, uh, servants, was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily portion of food and wine from his table. They were to be trained for three years and after that they were to enter the king's service. So they were kind of uh, being taught how to be a royal minister in a kind of secular seminary, if you will. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belshazzar. Now, isn't it interesting we don't remember his new name, we remember the other's new names. Well, that's largely because uh, throughout the book of Daniel, which is called by his name, he's called Daniel, whereas from this point forward, they're called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that's what he says, right? To Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. But what does this mean? They were given a ceremonial set of rules as to how they were supposed to conduct themselves in the world. And part of that was the way that they were to eat. And specifically, it says that uh, they wouldn't take wine or meat from the king's table. Well, I don't know about the wine because they could drink wine in Israel, but the meat was probably not ceremonially slaughtered the proper way. And so as the result of that, uh, they were not permitted to, to eat it. Now, I'm going to get into that in just a moment, because believe it or not, our application here is not about food. It's about what you consume, but I'll talk about that more in just a moment, all right? So uh, God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. So they're really feeding them well. This is called rich food. It's coming from the king's table, which means it's the best of the best of the best. But the best of the best from the world is not always the best, is it? And that includes food, drink, and other things. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. 
Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Let me stop there. This isn't in my sermon, but it comes to mind. When you do God's will, he's going to provide for you. And it may appear that you are denying yourself some pleasures or some privileges that are offered you in the world, but God is always going to take better care of you than you take care of yourself. Amen? So when you seek to glorify and honor God, you can count on the fact that he's going to step in. Now, a vegetarian diet, a vegan diet, it can be an extremely healthy diet. I've done a vegan fast during Lent before, and it can be very, very healthy. Um, you know, eating a lot of meat and certainly drinking a lot of alcohol can be very unhealthy. And so there are some practical reasons why this worked, but I'm going to say that more importantly, it shows that God was taking care of his own because they were willing to obey the Lord and follow his precepts, right? Um, so they looked better after 10 days. Um, verse 15, at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine and that they were given to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding and in all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kind, which we see throughout the book of Daniel. He interprets a lot of dreams, right? The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Cyrus was the Persian king who allowed the Israelites to go back to Israel. All right? So... First of all, let me say that I am not going to make an application related to food here. As I said, I think a vegetarian or a vegan diet can be very healthy, but it's really not the point here. The point is that they were going to continue to obey God rather than human beings. That although they were in a culture that was foreign to them and that was uh, focused around the worship of false gods, they weren't going to just do what the culture said that they should do, even though they had some very, very important, prominent jobs. They were not going to just fall in line with all of the others. And as a result of that, God blessed them. So I'm going to make the point that you and I need to separate ourselves from our culture, that we need to avoid worldliness, and we need to obey God, and we need to be godly people. But that doesn't mean that we separate ourselves from the world. We remain engaged. We remain involved. That's the only way we're going to shine the light. What did Jesus say? He said, you are the salt of the earth, right? Salt that loses its savor is no longer worth anything except for the manure pile. He said, you're the light of the world. A city set on, set on a hill cannot be hidden. You don't take a light and put a bowl over it. You let it shine. Our responsibility as believers in a culture that is opposed to our faith is not to withdraw and hide our faith and be afraid that somebody is going to make fun of us or persecute us or be offended by us. We are going to stand up and we're going to shine and we're going to, as our church name indicates, live life well and demonstrate by the kind of lives we're living that we have a valuable gospel to preach, good news, right? 
But let's pause for just a moment and hear what Jesus said when he altered the dietary laws for those of us that are in Christ. Jesus said this, Matthew 15, and he was talking to the religious people of his day, the religious leaders specifically, that were uh, appalled that Jesus and his disciples didn't ceremonially wash their hands before they ate. Jesus said, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. And skip down to verse 17, verse 17 through 19. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Ah, so that's where I want to focus our attention. Jesus shifted this idea of being pure, being clean from physical things like food to mental things, spiritual things, that which comes out of your heart. In other words, your thinking. You consume things here with your eyes. You consume things here with your ears. And that goes into your head, into your heart and then you digest that, and then something comes out of your mouth, something comes out in your posts, and that is the result of what you have consumed, right? So uh, number one, there are bulletins that are scattered about the room, and uh, I would love it if you followed along. Those of you that are more COVID concerned still, there are pens on the backs of the seats, uh, and most of the, the seats have a pen that's got uh, hand sanitizer on it kind of cool. I thought it's gimmicky. I understand. I agree. But it's kind of cool. So you can take that out. And if the top's not already off, because the kids have run around and sprayed each other with this stuff. Um, the top's not already off. Pop the top off and you can spray your hands and use that. Now, not all the seats have those pens. You can look around and probably find one and figure it out on your own. But I would love it if you followed along in your bulletin, because that would give you an opportunity to remember what I'm telling you today. So number one in your outline, uh, in your bulletin, is a question. Will you compromise by consuming the world's ideas. Now, originally I said the world's food in quotes, right? But I thought I would just be more specific so you understood what I'm talking about. There, there are many, many ideas out there in the world today that are not Christ-focused. They're not from the Word of God. And we compromise our faith when we consume those ideas and those ideas that we consume from our entertainment, from the media that we expose ourselves to, that could be the news media, that could be books that you read, any number of things, what we expose ourselves to there changes our thinking. So you have to ask yourself, am I going to compromise by constantly consuming this antichrist culture's ideas? Number two, um, when I was a kid, there was a phrase that was used often in school uh, trying to help us to have healthy diets. And it was, you are what you eat. Right. Well, that makes sense, right? You consume food and, you know, these, uh, these young men in Daniel are clear indicators of that. They ate healthy and they looked radiant and they were healthy. You know, sometimes we're run down because our diet is terrible. I mean, if all you do is eat Twinkies all day long and, you know, drink hot chocolate or something like that, you're probably not going to be a super healthy person. Kids get away with this for a while, their bodies rebound and whatever. But you know what? In the end, we're doing damage to ourselves by not eating healthy. But it's even more important for you to take in healthy ideas. 
And that means you need to expose yourself to the right books. You need to expose yourselves to the right sources of truth. And you need to avoid this, the, uh, the mental junk food that's out there and the outright lies that are being told. This might be people that are passing them along. And by the way, this doesn't have anything to do with the right or the left as far as politics. There's lies that are being spread by people on both sides of that uh, political aisle. Well, we want to avoid all of that. We want to be copious and careful consumers of Christ's truth, right? So you are what you think, and that uh, is found in Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That was the old King James of that. Uh, I updated it. As a person thinks in their heart, so they are. You become what you think. Now, this is really, really important. Because if you're constantly thinking you're better than people, you become a, an arrogant person. If you're constantly thinking that you're no good and you're worthless, then you're going to try to compensate by uh, appearing to be better or you are going to uh, constantly look down at your shoes and avoid people and be what you think of yourself, what you think of other people, and above all, what you think of God is absolutely central, right? You are what you think. And thoughts come from words and images, right? You, from the time you're born, in fact, before you're born, uh, you, we have a number of babies in this room, women that have been recently pregnant, and, uh, you know, everybody's got a mother, and many of you have been mothers, and you know that your child uh, moves within you, and sometimes moves when certain things are said, okay? I remember, and I can't even remember who it was, um, and it might have been more than one person, but I can remember one of our moms in the earlier days of our church was like, Pastor D, every time I come and I'm pregnant and you're preaching, my baby is moving around in there. I was like, well, he's going to be a preacher. What can I tell you, right? <laughs> So even before you're born, you're receiving this information, right? And you get out and babies initially can't see very far, right? You remember that? And then they, they recognize your face and so forth. But we're taking these images in and we're taking these words in. And before we even know what they mean, we're taking these attitudes in, right? It's been rightly pointed out that uh, there needs to be a healthy attachment that forms between a mother and her baby. Or pretty soon, early in that child's life, the child will have trust issues. And some of you that have trust issues, it might be the result of something that you had no control over whatsoever. Few of us have had perfect parents. Um, some of our parents were perhaps more engaged and cautious and concerned about us than others. But it's very, very damaging to a child. Uh, the, the first, I guess, uh, conflict that is expressed uh, in developmental psychology uh, this comes from Piaget, is that there is this essential conflict between, between trust and mistrust. And when your child forms that attachment to you, then it encourages trust for the rest of the child's life. So what I'm trying to say is you're receiving words and images all throughout your life, and that forms the food that you eat. But wait, you don't automatically become those words or those images. It's what you do with them. You might have been raised in a home where Jesus was never spoken, right? Uh, I can remember that when I was growing up, uh, my, my real dad, uh, the only way he ever used Jesus' name was as a cuss word. I mean, that was it. And that's all I heard from the time I was young. Now, if I would have become just like him, I would have become an alcoholic who hated Jesus for the rest of my life. But I also had a grandmother, and she was imperfect, certainly, um, but 
Uh, she really, really tried to teach the truth of the scripture, and she passed that along. Uh, my parents were not always happy about the way she did it because she was a little bit heavy-handed, but nonetheless, she passed that along. And I can tell you from the time I was young, I had a very favorable opinion of the Lord Jesus. I really did. And when I was younger, I actually wanted to go to church. There were a few times when a, a bus came through our neighborhood and picked up kids and took them to church. And man, I was on that bus a few times and went with my sister and we went to church. But if I was just consuming the hatred that my father expressed toward Christ, then I would certainly have not done that. But although that was there and that was available, I didn't choose to go along with that. So we can't just play the victim and say, well, I was raised this way, so I don't really have any choice. You always have a choice. Amen? Amen. Say, I always have a choice. I always have a choice. It's really important that we understand that. Um, so there was, a, uh, there was a man that returned from the concentration camps under Nazi Germany, and uh, his name was Viktor Frankl, and he wrote a book and in that book, he said, you know, they stripped us of everything, even our clothes. But what they couldn't do is take my mind. They couldn't take my thoughts. They couldn't take my understanding of who I was. Nobody can take that from you, right? Now, uh, you know, there may come a time when they want to do these implants. I, you know, I see uh, this idea of putting something in your, you know, on your head that's going to, uh, you know, cause you to be able to work your smartphone or something like that. Don't do it, right? The last thing you need is for the government to be reading your mind. Um, keep your thoughts free, right? Number three, we all need to change our thought diets. Amen? We really do. And I find many times that, uh, you know, we call the, the human temperament or personality, apart from God, we call that the flesh. Say the flesh. That was what the Apostle Paul called that. Now, uh, if you read the older version of the NIV, the NIV that came out in 84, it translates that sinful nature many times. That's probably a, a decent way of understanding it. But it's the fallen nature. It's you without Jesus. And I find many times that my flesh just wants to come to the fore instead of me appealing to the Spirit and letting Christ teach me. And I respond to things the wrong way, right? Somebody cuts me off in traffic, I respond the wrong way. Uh, you know, you, sometimes you don't even understand why you like or don't like somebody. Have you ever encountered somebody and you're just like, I just don't like them? You ever, ever done that? And you don't even know why. You know, sometimes I do know why. I'm, I'm not a fan of arrogance at all. So when I'm at the gym and there's these guys that are crossing the other side of the gym, screaming, grunting, throwing weights, slamming, you know, whatever, I'm just like, please, dude, seriously. It's such territorial behavior. If you have a male dog, they pee on every tree, right? If you have a male in the gym, he slams the weights. It's basically the same thing, right? If you, if you have a male driving through the, the neighborhood with the windows rolled down and his music blaring, and it doesn't matter what the style is, it could be rap or, you know, hardcore rock, it's territorial behavior, right? It's, here, I'm peeing on all the trees, pay attention to me, you know? It's like, I don't want to hear your music, man. I really, really don't. Now, by the way, ladies, it's rare that women roll their windows down and blare their music like that. And it's rare that women slam weights, right? But women do have sometimes a tendency to have attention-seeking behavior when they're younger and they're unmarried and, you know, you have a, well, or they're drunk. Um, 
There was a there was a group of ladies at Intrinsic the other day. I was in there and I was eating, and they were. I mean, it was four o'clock in the afternoon, and I was like, "Are they lit or what?" They were so loud, you know, just cackling and screaming and whatever. Well, one of them was having a birthday, and they were just having a good old time, basically. But these are the things that irritate me, and so I've got to say, you know what? That's the flesh. I can't go with that. See, if I were to say, well, that's just my personality, then all I'm doing is saying, this is, this is the flesh. This is the world. This is me without Jesus. And you without Jesus can go in a lot of different crazy directions. And people do today, don't they? And they justify it. And they say, well, no, this is just the way I am. Well, maybe it's just the way you are because that's the way the world has formed you and shaped you, but that's not who you are in Christ. Amen? We need to look to Jesus if we're going to figure that deal out. So we got to change our thought diets. Eating the world's quote-unquote food is to us consuming the world's words and images. Now, did you know that for hundreds of years, people believed that consuming a form of mercury was healthy? Has anybody ever heard this? They thought it was a cure for illnesses. Yet consuming mercury caused heavy metal poisoning and early death. It is believed, and many in ancient Rome were being poisoned by heavy metals in their water, lead and antimony. So it was only the rich that could have water piped to their houses. The problem is these pipes were lead. Or sometimes the, uh, the, the aqueducts that were made out of stone were formed, uh, put together with the mortar. So you see the mortar in our, in our wall here. Well, that mortar was antimony, which had, it was a heavy metal. So here are these rich people and they're all like, yeah, I got water in my house and I'm drinking poison and killing myself. And then there were those that actually believed all the way up really until the, the 19th century, there were those that believed that drinking mercury was healthy. Um, this is from a newspaper called thestar.com. Mercury was used ubiquitously, that means everywhere, for centuries at all levels of society. In its liquid form, they called it quicksilver, or as a salt, and that salt was called calomel, also known as mercurious chloride. This salt fell into the latter category and it was used by some of the most illustrious personages in history, including Napoleon Bonaparte, Edgar Allan Poe, Andrew Jackson, and Louisa May Alcott. Isn't that interesting? So they thought they were being healthy. In fact, one of the, the issues with this uh, calomel was uh, women were told that if they took some of this mercury salt and applied it to the gums of their teething children, it would stop them from crying. They were poisoning their kids and they didn't even realize it. You understand I'm really not talking about mercury or lead or antimony, right? We're taking this stuff in even when we're not trying to go to see, you know, some horror movie or, uh, you know, some hideous, anti-Christian, whatever, or exposing ourselves to something that we know is wrong. We're receiving this junk constantly from our culture. It's everywhere, right? If you're leaving your kids in front of the TV watching cartoons from Cartoon Network, right? Um, uh, watching shows uh, from all these, they, they have an agenda. They're here to shape your kids. They're here to bend them in a particular direction. And they're not even at a point where they can think critically about this yet, right? So not only do you have to be careful, but when you're a parent, you have to be doubly and triply careful because of all of these things that are, that are going on in our world. 
So number four, uh, actually, yeah, number four. Uh, here are some dangerous ideas that people are consuming today. Socialism. Oh, see, some of us think this is a good idea, but it is inherently atheistic in nature. Being willing to help those who are helpless is a good idea. Taking money from people that have earned it and giving it to people who have not earned it is not a good idea. There's another one, and you're going to get mad at me, maybe, but I, I want you to watch uh, some videos by a fellow named Vadi Bakum to understand what this word really means. Social justice. Social justice and biblical justice are not the same thing. Justice fundamentally means that we apply what is right to everyone. That everyone is given an equal opportunity. That we are fair to everyone. That's not social justice. In the socio sociology texts, that define that term, it is about the redistribution of resources. In other words, it's Marxism. It is about the forcible redistribution of resources. So we've got some retired folks in here and you worked your whole life and you saved and you put it away and now you're on that retirement. But social justice says, well, you know, maybe you need to take that that you've earned and we need to take some of it and we need to give it to these people over here. It's not the same as compassion and feeling willing to give to people who are in need. Man, I'm more than willing to do that. And I see many Christians who are willing to do that. But we're, we're partaking of a poison pill because it sounds good. Social justice just, it sounds good. But it's, a, it's tainted. It's like that tainted water. You may take it one way. But that's not the way that it is being promoted by those who are beneath it. So by all means, we should be promoting justice. And biblical justice is always social because there is no need for justice when it's just you by yourself. So really, social justice is, justice is always social because it's always be between people. But it's about us treating one another fairly. And you know, there are no Christians in my life that think you should treat other people unfairly. Right? So we need to understand what these poison pills that we're taking, this poison food that we're taking is. Critical race theory. This is being promoted, but you might not have heard that term before. But it is essentially this idea that if you are me, if you are white and you are a male, you have automatic privileges that other people, people of color, do not have. And uh, there have been a lot of sociology texts written about this. But uh, one of the, the primary metaphors that's used of this is that Somehow someone like me that is white and male uh, has access to resources that, the, that people of color do not have. And they talk about, you know, I have a backpack full of resources uh, that uh, I didn't work for and that are available to me. I got news for you. My backpack didn't have anything in it. Right? And if this is just about Europeans and it's about slavery, stop for a minute. About half of my uh, eth ethnic uh, history is Irish. Did you know the Irish were slaves? You didn't know that? They were, right? White people enslaving white people. Vadi Bauckham talks about uh, uh, the uh, nation of Zambia that he went to. Uh, this is a, a fellow that uh, came out of the, the radical uh, left movement when he was younger and became uh, a Christian, and now, now he preaches the Bible. Uh, he's a person of color, he's, uh, he's a black man. Uh, he's been preaching the gospel for many years. He went to Zambia so that he could head up a, uh, a college there to train ministers. 
And in his book, Fault Lines, which I highly recommend, Vadi Bauckham, or I think you might say his name, Bodhi, B-O-D-D-I-E, Bauckham, B-A-U-C-H-A-M. He says that what he has learned as the result of study, and he has a degree in sociology, and as the result of being in Africa, is that many of the slaves that were imported into this country by white Europeans were originally slaves of other Africans. See, it's not about color. It's about character. Martin Luther King Jr. knew that a long time ago, didn't he? He said, I have a dream. I dream that one day my children will be judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. And now we've made a 180 degree turn and we're judging people by the color of their skin. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But this is the poison pill that we're taking. This is the poison water that is coming in. These are dangerous ideas. Right? There are many others, and I'm not going to get into them because I'll make even more of you mad at me. All right. <laughs> Number five, so stop conforming to the world, but be transformed by having your mind renewed from the word of God. And that's Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When we conform to the world, we just receive what, is, what we're being told and we just bend that direction, okay? Um, when we are transformed by the word of God, we expose ourselves to the truth of the word, and God himself, through his spirit, transforms our heart. He changes our thinking. He changes uh, our way of life. I was talking to a young lady just uh, earlier who's going to be baptized in the coming days in our church, and I won't embarrass her, but she's a wonderful lady. You should meet her. And uh, um, her name is Miss Rose. She's sitting back here. <laughs> But she told her testimony to me, shared her testimony with me, and it is beautiful. Just how the Lord absolutely transformed her when she was born again. How lost she was before knowing Jesus and how different it is now. And that's why she wants to be, in fact, she wanted to be baptized a ways back, but she got a, she got a job and then COVID came along and, you know, but she's wanted to. Um, that's what should be happening. We allow Jesus to come into our lives and he fundamentally changes who we are from the inside out. It's a transformation that happens when we expose ourselves to the word of God. Number six, if you called on Jesus as your Lord, then you're called to be holy as God is. Now, I'm gonna introduce this concept and conclude our talk with it. Holiness means that you are separated from the world and you are separated to God. You are in the world, but not of it, as the preachers used to say, and as the gospel song used to say, right? So here we have this example of the Hebrew children, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and they were in the world, but they were not of the world. They didn't become Babylonians, even though they were serving the Babylonians, right? Listen to what the scripture says in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. And at the end of this passage, Peter quotes Leviticus eleven forty four: As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, and this is Leviticus, be holy because I am holy. That's not an option. That's a command. That's what it means when we start following Jesus rather than following some theory or following some book, some idea, some philosophy, or even some strange theology that is being sown in our world. We're following Christ. 
And being more Christ-like is going to result in us being more holy, right? Number seven, to be holy, I said this earlier, but so you can fill it in, to be holy means to separate yourself to God from the world. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we leave the world, that we all pack up and go into the wilderness and have little monasteries where we stay apart from everybody. Listen to what Jesus said. This is in his high priestly prayer, John 17. He said, I do not ask, he's praying to the Lord for us, right? He said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. You see, that's the one that's telling us the lies, right? The devil is called the God of this world, little g. And he's the one that's running it and ruining it. And by the way, all of these anti-Christ ideas and movements that have come into our culture are coming straight from the liar. So we're called not to leave the world, but we're called not to be connected to, or we, I should say to refuse to be connected to or controlled by anything or anyone that is captive to the world. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes. Uh, this is found in 2 Corinthians 6.14 through uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Remember, there were not originally chapter and verse designations, but this is all one thought. The Apostle Paul writes, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Amen? Amen. Jesus even prayed for you about this. Further along in that same high priestly prayer, he said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. If you're paying attention today to all this scripture I'm throwing at you, that's exactly what the Lord is seeking to do. He's seeking to cause a change of heart in you that will separate you out from the world even as you walk in the midst of the world. You, you're going to have to work with people that, that are not believers. You're going to have to go to school with those people. You're going to have to rub shoulders with those people and have conversations with those people. And we can't just automatically shut everybody off and call them names and, and run away from them just because we don't like their ideas. Again, shine the light. Live life well live the right kind of life right out there in front of everybody. Let's stop getting in all of these frivolous, pointless debates over issues and just live the way Jesus called us to live. Amen? So finally, and I'll conclude here, without holiness, no one will be able to perceive the presence of God in their life. So you need to understand this. There is a, a thought, an idea, a belief by many that we're all children of God and that we all automatically have access to the presence of God. But that's false. Or no one would need to get saved. Everyone would just automatically go to heaven. Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross. No, you need to understand, this is a fallen world. You wanna know why it's a mess? You wanna know why we have, we have mass shooting after mass shooting? 
We can jump down on both sides of this debate. We can talk about guns. We can talk about mental health and all these other sorts of things. But fundamentally, it's a fallen world with a lot of evil in it. Amen? And people are making a lot of wicked choices. So, you know, another mass shooting down in, in, uh, in Austin. And uh, last time I checked, nobody had died from that one, but multiple people in the hospital, people running around with guns, just firing them off and angry and angry and angry. It's a fallen world, friends. If everybody that's here in the fallen world is going to heaven, heaven's going to be no different than earth. And that doesn't sound very heavenly to me. It's a fallen world. You get to choose whether you go to heaven because Jesus paved the way there by dying on the cross for your sins. So whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I don't have any authority in the life of an unbeliever. I can't tell somebody that doesn't believe in Jesus that they need to change their conduct. I can offer them a healthier way of living. But see, as a pastor, as someone who is seeking to teach you the word of God, I have a responsibility to tell you the right way to walk. I have a responsibility to tell you when you're on the wrong path. And I have to be careful because people will just up and leave your church if, they, if you say anything that's slightly offensive to them. Now, you guys are fairly tough-skinned. You've been listening to me for years, a lot of you, right? And you're dealing with it. So you either believe what I'm saying or you're like, ah, that's just Pastor D, don't listen to it. <laughs> Hopefully not the latter. But listen to this. If you want to sense the presence of God in your life, if you want to know the direction that God is leading you, if you want to be protected, then you need the presence of God in your life. And that doesn't happen until you are made holy. By the way, the spirit that we receive, we call him the what spirit? The reason that the Holy Spirit could not remain with people before Christ died on the cross is because he's a Holy Spirit and we're not holy people. When Christ died on the cross, he made a way for us to become holy by being in Christ. When we're in Christ, then we're holy. Listen to what it says here. Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You're not going to be able to perceive the presence of God in your life without this fundamental holiness. So that means even those of us that have called on the name of the Lord to be saved, when we just wander off and do things our own way, we wonder why. You know what? I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. This world is just so messed up and my life is just so bad and I don't believe in God anymore. But have you been living for Jesus? Really? See, you can even come to church all the time and still be far, far afield from God's direction for your life. But if I'm seeking to live my life for Jesus, then no matter how many times I stumble on my own shoelaces, he's always there to pick me up. Amen? And you too. That's the kind of life. I want you to constantly have the presence of the Holy Spirit guiding you, surrounding you, protecting you, providing for you constantly. No matter how many times a day I get frustrated, and it's a few, the Holy Spirit is always there pulling me back from the brink of being an idiot and helping me realize. And this is why many times I've got to go back and apologize to people because in the midst of me being frustrated, you know, I said or did something and then I got to go back. But, you know, the Lord is always pulling me back. He's always forgiving. Understand, I'm not just talking about me. I'm using me as an example. 
because that's you as well. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, right? Um, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he will not be hurled headlong for it is the Lord that uphold him, upholds him by his hand. Sorry, I memorized that in King James. I memorized it a long time ago. Plus, there's a song that goes along with it. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Okay, anyway. You'll be glad that the band is coming back up, right? So, in conclusion, we need to separate ourselves from this world. We need to follow Jesus fully and completely. And we need to consume what comes out of the word. And believe it or not, you can, you can direct yourself around a lot of the landmines in this world. You can choose, just a lot of people today, let, let's just take a, 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 a vegetarian or a vegan diet as an example. As I said before, it's a healthy diet. Some people choose not to eat meat because they don't want to see animals killed. And I, I feel you, I understand that, okay? Uh, there are other people that just do it for health reasons. There are those that do it to lose weight and so forth. But it is by and large a healthy diet. But especially those that are vegans, they will not consume anything that comes from an animal. And that requires you to be ridiculously careful because so many things are fried in butter and, and you say, butter, but wait a minute, that's, no, it comes from an animal, right? So, and I remember all of this, but this is a good way for us to understand how we need to live as Christians in the midst of the world. You can be a vegan and live in the midst of a meat-eating culture. It's possible. There's lots of people that do it. And you can be a Christian and live in the midst of an antichrist culture. Amen? And that's what I'm calling us to do. Just remember the scripture teaches whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All you got to do is call on Jesus to save you. He'll come into your life. Just open your heart up and let him in. Father, thank you for this group of people. Thank you for how attentive they were today. I thank you for your word. I thank you that the Holy Spirit has spoken, and I pray that we will do what you say in Jesus' name.